This episode of I Am Teacher is sponsored by... I'm Dan Clark, and this is I Am Teacher. Today, my guest on I Am Teacher is Sarah O'Brien, a high school English teacher who I had the pleasure of working with for the past year. This interview was recorded all the way back last May, and I'm finally getting around to editing and putting this out. I'm hoping to record some new episodes coming up this year, so be sure to be on the lookout for those. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at imteacher.podcast. If you're looking to support the podcast, the best way to do so would be to pass this on to a fellow teacher friend who you think might benefit from this conversation or these conversations, or give me a rating and a review on iTunes. That always makes me figure out that, hey, people are listening, and they don't think it sucks. So, enjoy this episode with Sarah O'Brien and our conversation about all things English here on I Am Teacher. like audiobooks or not yeah or just kind of like I do. um like especially in college when I was reading so much for my classes it was nice to be able to like listen to a book that I wanted to read but couldn't like while I was exercising or something do you think you were it's just as memorable when you hear it read on audible versus reading the pages um depending on what I'm doing when I'm listening to it so if I'm really just listening to it or if I'm, like, listening to it while I'm exercising or something, then I think it sinks in. But if I'm trying to listen to it while I, like, clean the house or something, my te- attention's going other places, no. But yeah. I think reading it, I always grasp it better if I'm actually right. reading it. Because there's no, like, there's no, you can't have a distraction and read it. Right. It just, you can't <laughs> right. yep. do that with your eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I found, like, just listening to stuff, but when doing other things, I can't really soak in what's going on mm-hmm. um do you ever like offer that up for students as an option for like audiobooks yep so but i usually ask that if they're going to listen to it they're listening to it and reading it at the same time so they're following along um that way they don't have that where they're missing things because they're distracted by other things while they're trying to listen to it yeah one thing i found that's similar to that but it's but it's a little bit different. Is when I, I I like to put on subtitles now for everything, just in English. Yep. While it's <laughs> while they're saying it, and it's totally audible. I'll still if I put on subtitles, I will still read everything on the screen. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Yeah, I have subtitles turned on always at home. My husband likes it too. I don't know what it is about reading it, like why we both prefer it that way. But what? when they're not on. We're like, oh, we got to put the subtitles on. You just can't. I don't, even if it's in your own version of English, like it's not mm-hmm. like some British show. I don't know. You just can't. I don't, I don't know what it is. I just, I think I did it on accident or maybe it's because, because my wife is, speaks Spanish and if she, she finds it easier to have the English sub like some kind of subtitles on to mm-hmm. understand it. 
then I found out by accident that it totally helps everything. Mm-hmm. And then if you tell that to students, they'll be like, no, that's dumb. But then if you they do it, mm-hmm. then they also make that same realization and they don't make it. They don't complain anymore after that. Right. Yeah. Because it's almost like they, I think they would think it's kind of like a distraction on the screen, like taking away from trying to watch the show. But I find that. I don't know. I think it like helps me pay more attention to the show. I'm not really sure what it is, but it's I like do. Re- it's like reading the script almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've also noticed like you can't watch the scene unfold as intensely as you might have without the subtitles. Like you're mm-hmm. watching the words versus watching right. like some sort of you know interaction. But I don't think it takes away from it. Um, but I'll, kids will also, or students will also like avoid foreign films because of that same exact reason yeah i've heard that before too good, i don't want to read i'm watching a movie but then like if you make them do it then they realize like oh that was really enjoyable mm-hmm. um yeah some of the best some of my favorite movies are foreign films that like if you if you had to convince me the 13 year old version of me to like watch it good luck <laughs> um, he would have been stubborn about it. Have you always been into that kind of stuff? Like English-focused things? Yes, <laughs> always. Or English-related, what, entertainment and activities? Yes. I did go through a phase, like, second to fourth grade, where I just hated reading, mostly because of the Judy Bloom books. I hated them, and my mom, <sighs> my mom bought a bunch of Judy Bloom books for me to read. And I just did not enjoy them. So then Boy I hated God. reading. <laughs> I was like, reading is terrible. Um, but then I read some uh, biography on Lewis Braille and was like, oh, reading is cool. And then I was back into it. Yeah, I've found that recently. Like I read a book that I, like it was a Judy, that was a Judy Bloom stinker for me. Mm-hmm. And I read a couple of those. I was like, why? I just don't enjoy reading. And then I picked up somebody's memoir or biography and then like, boom. I was back into it, and I realized, like, oh, my God, this is my thing, this type of book. Um, what was it about Judy Bloom that you hated so much? I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell you. It was so long ago. I don't remember what What were her books? Like, I, I remember reading, like, Dear... Did she write Beverly Cleary or something? Is that a book she wrote? Oh, I couldn't tell something you. About a, is there something about a turtle in one of them? No, no titles coming to mind. I'm, I'm thinking I remember the turtle... And I don't know why I'm thinking that's from, like, the tale of a fourth grade nothing okay. books. Yep. There was a turtle in one of those where the kid, they thought the kid swallowed the turtle. And that's a Judy Bloom book, right? I don't, I don't know. You I just, couldn't you tell you. blocked that I just out. remember it was Judy Bloom, and I, I just wasn't a fan of whatever it was. And it might have just been that it was, like, um, we didn't have school over the summer, so my mom was like, hey, read a book. And I was like, just boycotting reading over the summer. I'm not really sure what it, what it was. But awesome, Judy. I just that's an interesting little tidbit. Um, because I remember actually having to read that for like a school curriculum in like fourth grade mm-hmm. classic Judy Bloom novels. Um, so why is that what you're what got you into teaching English was just your love of books and reading, and you followed that path, or how does, how does that work or play out? So, I think it was. The love of English is why I went into teaching English, but I think I went into teaching 
for a different reason. Like I think I wanted to go into teaching because I liked working with people and I liked talking to people and I liked seeing like um, what people were interested in or what people's goals were and like helping get them there. Like I found a lot of fulfillment in seeing people like achieve something that they wanted to achieve that maybe they thought they couldn't. And so then I was like, well, I like that and I like English and then I put them together. And, and here get, I am. <laughs> you get English teacher. In English teacher. Yeah, so besides like hating Judy Bloom, were there any specific stories or books that were like that made you realize that teaching was the path or was it like a person that brought put you on the teaching path or was it some sort of just I have to tell this message to everybody. This is the way to do it. I I really like this story because it comes back to a teacher and I think kids get stuck in this path too when they're coming towards graduation especially. Uh, my senior year in band, my band director uh, made us write a letter to him saying what we wanted to do or what our plans were for after school and I said um, that I wanted to become a nurse but that I would like to tutor on the side. And So then he pulled me into his office and he was like you want to tutor on the side? Like, why not just teach instead of why be a nurse? And I'm like, well, nurses make money. <laughs> and <laughs> um, and I was also like, and like I can get an associate's in nursing and that, you know, that would be two years and not instead of four because when you're 18, four years seems like a really long time. Um, and he kind of was just like, no, I think what you need to do is really consider like your long-term goals. Like, what do you really want to do? And stop focusing so much on like one the time aspect and also the money because it's like yeah you could be a nurse but if it's not fulfilling to you then it's gonna you know it's just not gonna be a good time <laughs> um and so I actually after he said that was like okay I'm I'm gonna change to teaching just from that conversation because I think I'd always known that I wanted to be a teacher and that's you just confirmed it just confirmed it where it was like you know what no he's right because I thought at that time I was like ah oh, teacher you always hear like oh they don't they don't make enough and mm -hmm. <laughs> and all of those other things but at the same time I I get paid to talk about literature with a bunch of awesome people so I really can't I really can't complain and was that was that band teacher like someone you looked up to quite a bit or was he just that was actually his first year oh wow as a teacher um and so we only had him my senior year. It was pretty early on in, in the school year. Maybe it was like around um, winter break or so, so it wasn't too But like long. you didn't have some sort of like lengthy, you know, yearly band relationship with Not that with teacher. It was nope. just like, hey, be a, no, you should be a teacher. Change your ideas. I think he saw, he saw what I was like trying to um, like forget about. Like he saw that I actually wanted to be a teacher. I think with that whole, oh, I'll tutor on the side. I think he was like, no, I know what you really want to do. And I think that as a teacher and as a mentor, I should tell you that you should go after this. Yeah, and, I don't think... That was cool. I haven't done that enough, probably. But if I think about it, there are kids that I've had in class that when they graduate or think about what they want to do, they always write down some sort of career that sounds good and mm -hmm. looks good when you're looking at salaries, um, but they would be a great teacher and I just never tell them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what it takes. Like, 
nobody told me that I should be a teacher. Like my dad, who was a teacher, tried to shy me away from it. He's like, just do anything but be a teacher. And then it took my college roommate, who like playing ping pong one day was like, you should be a teacher. Like you'd be good. You're entertaining, and you would they would listen to you. And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds about right. I'm, I'll be a teacher now. Like. <laughs> Maybe that's, I don't know how common that is. Like, have you ever, have you talked to any other teacher where that was kind of the same story? You know. Because I haven't, like, I, you're I the know. first person I think that's true who's just been, like, kind of affirmed the exact same thing that happened to me. I don't know that I've had this conversation with many teachers, like, how they, how they kind of got into it. Um, but I know I've heard kids talk about, before, like I heard a student say that they wanted to be a doctor, but they didn't want to go to school for that long, so they probably weren't going to do it. And it was kind of a moment where I'm like, okay, right now I'm sure the like four years plus the medical school plus the residency seems like a really, really long time. But once you're in it and you're doing it and you're loving what you're doing, it's not going to be like a, like, I think they almost look at it like a sentence, like they have to fulfill this sentence of college or, and then they can get to what they want and they don't want to fulfill that. So if well, I had a message, it would be, don't worry about that. Like, don't worry about how long it's going to take you to get to where you want to be. Find out what it is you want to do and just do what you got to do to get there. Just do it. And it's, they just think it's going to be as long as high school seemed mm-hmm. like high school seemed yeah, like long. it took a long time to get through mm-hmm. but then once you're out of high school everything seems to be way more rapid yeah you know like i i've been teaching here for 7 years now and i can't believe that mm-hmm. and that means that's like that was 7 years after college and college feels like it just happened like a couple of years ago. But nope, sure didn't. But I remember when I was in high school, I kept thinking to myself, like, when will this end? This never ends. Um, and I think that's because that time period seems so long. They just apply that to the future. And then they just get, you know, they shy away from, you know, go like seeking out those experiences Mm -hmm. um and i don't know what that whole time conundrum is yeah i don't know i don't know either. maybe high school is just that unenjoyable for some (laughs) that it just takes forever i just want it to be over with Um, and i want to be done with school but again if you're like studying something you're interested in which if you do an apprenticeship or you do um college afterwards you hopefully would be studying something you're interested in it's enjoyable. It's an enjoyable experience. It's not like, ah, four more years <laughs> until I'm right? done. Yeah. Yeah, that would be the ideal situation. But a lot of kids, whenever these end of the year, like decision day things happen, you look at the kids' choices. Like they mm-hmm. seem to already have a major picked out. Like I'm going to major in this. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience is that that usually isn't what ends up happening. Is that your experience too? I think um, I think there are certain people like that teacher definitely helps me out to just go for it. There's some people that kind of like know what what they're supposed to do, like they just have that feeling. But I think 
it would be kind of crazy to say that all 17, 18 year olds should know what they want to do for the rest of their lives at 17 or 18 when they just haven't experienced right. much past high school and their hometowns yet. Um, like lived away from their parents right. and not had just so, that degree of control. Right. So I think if somebody's like graduating high school and they're kind of feeling bummed out because they don't have a plan picked out, but their their friends all have plans picked out, like don't. Don't even worry, like take some classes and figure out what you like and then go from there. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be too upset um, being 17 or 18 and not knowing what you want to do for the next 50 years. But do you think don't you think that like that's that idea, which is, I think, realistic and totally what it should be? Don't you think that nowadays that is, I don't know a mindset that gets forced or like kind of conditioned within them because like, like now we're looking at ninth graders and we're saying like what do you want to do in college what do you want to be I mean well, those aren't bad questions to ask yourself I mm -hmm. guess but we're I don't know I feel like it's more of a effort to try and get kids to pin down what they want to do before they get to college do you think that's true or not? Because I like I, when I'm thinking of high school. Like I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I can't remember there being like an entire curriculum based on that, which I think there is now. Like it's a mm -hmm. it's a state law for us to have some sort of tracking system of career development or um, college. What? I think part of that might come down to just being able to get a job. I mean, getting jobs without degrees. I think more people, maybe I'm just making this up, but I feel like more people have degrees now. Like that's something um, more people are going to college and getting degrees. So it's kind of like, you know, the job market might be requiring um, people to have degrees. Like if you want to rise so high and make so much money, you got to get a degree. Or there's this idea at least that that exists that I think kids pick up on. And so there's this kind of like, I need to have something like this or some plan like this figured out. But I think like with our 10th grade, like doing career day or things like that, I think that's actually pretty cool as far as getting to see what jobs are out there that you don't even hear about. Um, so like that kind of career exploration, I think is really, really awesome. Like to have that exposure. It's one of those things where it's like, cool, now you can see it. Now maybe that's something you're interested in and you can decide to pursue that. But um, I just think, I don't know. <laughs> no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like just having, like I think the idea of showing what's out there is a is great, but like doing that to, like not don't like overplay that card. I would say like don't try to box people into those like oh you want to do this okay here's the path go that way like you have to have the option of like well okay not for me you know like mm -hmm. take a left turn. Um, but no, I, I like I don't I just did you did you have that when you were going through school like people taking you to career fairs and showing you what's out there? You know I don't remember having a career fair <laughs> at all um, at my school. Not to say they did they didn't exist. Um, we did have like a tech campus, so. Halfway through the day, my junior and senior year, I would leave the school, go to the community college, like on a bus with a bunch of other high schoolers from the county, and we would take classes there and come back. Um, and that was sort of like, here's some career options. 
Um, but no, I think for us, um, and I was in the like honor program, so it was all um, like honors AP type thing. It was more they they kind of pushed um, college as like this is your next step after this, um, and so it was more like trips to different universities than it was exploring different uh, career fields. And did you, so did you, did you do anything before getting into the teaching? career or was it just kind of that path of got through school went to college become a teacher now you're a teacher was it was that was that it or was there was there more like I mean there probably wasn't too many odd jobs along the way or was there um I worked for a forest reserve for two summers which was awesome what'd you do there um all kinds of stuff (laughs) so it was with youth uh conservation corps and so it was crews of six with two, like, mentors, which were a college student, uh, two college students. And we would just go off into the woods and have different projects we were supposed to work on. And every once in a while, like, one of the adults in charge of us would come by our site and see how things were going. But we built, like, a picket fence. One year we had... Um, this abandoned horse auction house that they wanted us to pull all the fences down from the old pastures so they can um, restore the habitat and make it into a forest reserve. So I spent the summer out in horse pastures just swinging a pickaxe at fences. <laughs> and so that was pretty cool. Um, so that was like an odd job. Um, so I did that one summer and then I came back as one of the mentors the second summer. That's really cool. Yeah, so that was cool. I mean, so that's not, it wasn't, um, Not that it it wasn't like totally away from teaching, though, because at the same time, it was like you're still working with, um, at least when I came back as a college mentor, it was like you're still working with kids. You're still um, teaching things like skills, uh, work skills, environmental awareness. We had EA days. So like every Wednesday, we would just go to a different site and have somebody teach us about the wilderness and we'd get paid for that. So that was pretty cool. (laughs) I don't know, it was a totally different experience, but I think at the same time, it was pretty closely related to, to education at the same time. No, like that was, I, if that were a part of school, I would definitely be trying to get that job, like that teaching position. Like that sounds mm-hmm. really fun yeah, to me. Um, and so you go through, you go through college, like you are, you've been, te- this is your first year teaching, correct? Yes. Yep. So you've gone through the process of, high school student, college student, uh, pickaxe swinger. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're a teacher and you're in your first year. So like at the end of your first year. So what is that? What has that change been like from going from like being the student all along in the classroom, learning the theory to going through the becoming a teacher part to actually having your own classroom? Like have you, what have you found has been like eye-opening or um, anything that's really caught you by surprise or made maybe different than what you had imagined? I think, so you can learn about teaching (laughs) and learn about classrooms and other teachers can tell you like, oh, you, like there's really no preparing you, I think, except for even in your field experiences and in student teaching from standing in front of like your own class 
and being like, I am responsible for all of these children and their education. And if I don't do a great job, that's one year of high school that is down the drain for them education wise. <laughs> so that's a little bit of pressure that I wasn't totally prepared for like on that first day. But I think um, like with, I was also not prepared for just the amount of collaboration and support from other teachers and just reassurance and oh hey you need a test here's a test or you need a you know some kind of an activity for this day I got one already made for you um and just all the help with that is really like I wasn't I wasn't really expecting that and so they kind of talk about in college too like oh yeah teachers should collaborate but seeing that in practice has been really cool and then just working with the kids and seeing how just absolutely awesome kids can be like I um I told Annette this too but when I was a student teacher, all I was doing was checking my oil out in the parking lot. And I had like three kids um, who I didn't have in class. I didn't even know them, like came up and asked me if I needed any help or if there was anything they could do to give me a hand with my car and things like that. Like, oh, you need to jump. And I just thought, wow, kids are great. I don't think they get enough credit for how great they are. I think there's a lot of like, ah, oh, teenagers. But yeah, they're like, pretty th- awesome. There's some teenagers here that restored a like 1930s tractor recently from like someone's shed they pulled it out like took it all apart i don't know how that works but they made the tractor work again and the last time it worked was like the great depression um and yeah it's amazing like you don't think that or when you think of teenagers typically like you know efficient auto mechanics probably isn't the first thing that comes to mind Mm -hmm. but like i've had plenty of times where they have helped me do things like that, like fix problems with my car. Um, and yeah, like that's a really good takeaway that they are, like you realize that they can do so mm-hmm. much more instead of like let's. So if you weren't a teacher, like the things you see in like the news or like the media, like they're not often portrayed very well. Right. Like I don't think. Th- they're not represented well with the with the crowd that they put on camera all the time, or they talk about like they always kind of just you know currently bash on mo- the millennial, right? Mm-hmm, and that's right. is that them? Are they millennials? Or are they a different generation? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, but like when you look at them, they're just they're just like every other generation, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some really good ones in there. Um, what else? Like so from your from your start of your first year to now. What have what have you changed with your teaching? Like, give me like a before and after type of scenario, or like something that you used to do or thought would work, that all of a sudden like now you're just like yeah no, or like you do it completely differently than you were taught or did originally. Uh, well, I think the lesson plans we had to write in college. I know this isn't this isn't necessarily like in the classroom that's changed, but. Um, we had to write very like scripted mm-hmm. lesson plans. Sometimes they were like four pages long. And I quickly realized that if I were to do that for every class every day, I was not going to make it through the year without burning down or crying or <laughs> it would not be good. Um, so I realized like, okay, I just need to know like, what are my objectives? What do we need to get done? Um, I don't need to script what I'm going to say from like, good morning, kids, to <laughs> to goodbye, have a great day. Do you think that do you think that that part is ever necessary? Like, do you think it's necessary for that 
original part where you are becoming a teacher? Like, should you have to script it when you're first starting out? Like, as a, like, your first field experience? I think, yes. Um, when you're first in front of kids, and if you didn't have it written down where you could look down at it, like, oh my goodness, what's happening? You're kind of, you're so nervous. I think the kids don't always see that, but, like, it, the first day of school is so scary for teachers. Like... <laughs> It, that, and that, like, that didn't go away for me either for, like, a f- good five years. Mm-hmm. Like, the first day of school was like, I don't know, do I remember how to do this? Like, did it all just disappear over the summer? Mm-hmm. And I think, like, if I'm teaching something I haven't done before, like, now I've had mm-hmm. one semester and I'm teaching the same classes so I can kind of vamp up what I did last semester. Um, but if it's something that I haven't taught before, then it, making a more detailed lesson plan is helpful for me. But I think, yeah, for the newer teachers... Or student teachers, I think in the beginning, having that script is a good crutch if they if they are like really getting lost, or to just make sure that what they're teaching is aligning to what they want it to. Um, but I think once you're once you're in the thick of it, um, you can't write a four page lesson plan for every class. <laughs> it's not it's just not feasible. The crazy thing is that some states, like I know Arizona does this. I don't know if it's a, I don't know, I don't know if it's based on school district state but every Sunday night the teacher will have to send their week's lesson plans to the principal um and that seems crazy to me I don't know if I would ever want to like if that were the rule I don't think I would do that I wouldn't I wouldn't work there yeah I don't know I don't know what the page length is Mm -hmm. for their lesson plans but it seems foolish to me because I've seen I've had so many weeks where like, I plan on getting to this point, and, you know, I take something a different direction midweek based on them not getting it, and it's not where I end up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just think that's kind of a crazy way to do things that a lot of other teachers have to do that we just don't have to worry about. Right, and I think even with, like, those scripted lessons and everything early on, it kind of... The thing about it is, is teaching, you can't, there's no way you could script what's going to happen in your room. You just can't. Um, Because kids react different ways and classes have different days. Some days they're like um, falling asleep at their desks and some days they're just bouncing off the walls. So (laughs) there's no way to script it. There just isn't. Um, You can plan and you can prepare. But there have been times where it's like I'll have a lesson and halfway through the lesson I'm like this lesson is not, it's just not working out. Like this plan is not happening they're not understanding it I'm not delivering it the way I think is what they need and so then right there the flexibility like being able to just go okay this is what needs to happen and then just doing it which is something that I don't think you can really be prepared for in college either like you can't really teach that right like right you just have to you have to know you have to be competent enough in your content area that you're teaching to just go this isn't working this is how we're going to do it instead and just roll with it. Right. And so I, this is the so this is the first time I've had a student teacher currently. And I don't know how to approach that best. And I've come up with the idea that like guidance and discussion and collaboration is great for a, the first part and I'm th- like my idea was that now is while my student teacher is teaching the class by himself that I won't give too much of anything when it comes to 
um, collaboration. Is that crazy to think of? Because because when I think about what I learned best from, it was just being in front of the class by myself without a safety net and like trying to figure things out while in you know in real time there wasn't somebody in the back Mm -hmm. like watching like a hawk um trying to help me so i don't know like do you think that's a good way to go i'm just looking for confirmation i think to make sure i don't ruin my student teacher and make him hate teaching he's great he'll be okay (laughs) but i student taught with betty miller and we kind of took a similar approach in the beginning especially the first two weeks because it was right before the semester was going to change um, I observed mostly and we talked about my plans, but once that semester changed, she gave me two of her classes um, to teach and was like, these are yours, so you plan for them and you teach them. And I never felt like she was throwing me to the you know the wolves or anything. It was like I could come to her and share my plans with her, she could help me out, um, or she'd be in the room too if I needed anything. And then slowly she kind of just let go and disappeared <laughs> and it was it was great I think it worked out perfectly because I think it was like the right amount of support I knew I could always go to her if I needed something but I also had that freedom to like be creative and mess up and learn from that and work with the kids and I think I thought it would just went slow I don't know. yeah it's like I'm thinking the image or the the video playing in my head right now is teaching someone how to ride a bike I mean, have you ever taught someone how to ride a bike before? No. <laughs> so my wife never knew how to ride a bike before she came to, to the United States and lived with me in Minnesota. And so I had to teach her how to ride a bike. And it was that idea of like, okay, so I'm going to be holding on to you and we're going to go. And then like you're going to pedal and then I'm going to run with you. And then I'm going to say, I'm holding on, I'm holding on. And then I'm not going to hold on. And then I'm still going to run with you. And then I'm slowly going to just fade back. And you're biking! Like, that's the same. Like, it works on that scale, I think, on the small, like, teaching someone how to bike scale. And I think it also, like, that also works in that scenario, too. Does that make sense? Yeah, that is actually a really great example. Um, And then it's like if you fall off the bike... And skin your knee. Like you're down the road. Then the, you turn the teacher the just comes over and they're like, hey, get back on the bike. Right. And then you just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Or like you're out of sight and the, the person that Todd's like, all right, they're doing fine down the and road you're, somewhere. Yeah, and, and you're falling over and getting your up yourself and <laughs> right, riding like, the bike. I'm yeah. trying to think how many times, like when I, when I learned how to ride a bike, like I did, I fell off a lot and mm-hmm. my parents didn't know, mm-hmm. you know, like, and they knew it would be okay. Just like in teaching. Right. I always love, I don't know why, but when I'm teaching... It's those weird analogies come into my head, and I feel like I have to share them with my class like that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's effective or not, but it's just something my brain does, and I want to, I just feel like I have to share those things. Mm -hmm. Um, So, anyway, um, where can we go from here? Um, So, you probably have developed, or have you developed a general teaching philosophy or has it changed in this first year at all oh goodness i don't know <laughs> i don't know what my my philosophy is other than I mean, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have like, to be some sort of master plan it can just be a general you know concept or idea that guides your overall teaching like maybe like maybe it's have fun mm-hmm. 
or make it entertaining. Like I think that's something that I like to have guide my classes. Like, is it fun? Is this entertaining? Like, would I find my would I find joy in doing this activity or reading this or talking about this? And if the answer is yes, then I would do it. Like that's what that that's kind of a portion of my philosophy. So, is there anything that you have as a a mantra? There's a good word that guides your teaching practice? I think when I'm going to plan like a unit or something like that, my my main focus or my main belief is that every kid in the room has the ability to, to achieve and to learn something within this unit. I just have to be, I have to make sure that I am providing them the support that they need to do that. Um, so I can't plan a lesson one way and not take into consideration all the different learners in my room. So like how do you, do you just try to, var- how do you address that? Do you just vary the types of activities that you do or strategies you use or do you offer choices or what, like how do you go about that? So Jen Maldonado has been great with helping me get like leveled texts into the classroom. So instead of Like right now, I have a group reading Into the Wild, I have a group reading Wild, I have a group reading Lost, and I have a student who hated Into the Wild, so he's reading Catcher in the Rye. (laughs) Um, So it's just kind of like, I want, I want them to be able to show me what, what they know and what they can learn without being held back by things like not, like really hating the book and just can't get through it. Or, you know, that book is at a level that I'm just not ready for yet. But I can still show you all these skills that I have. Um, I just can't do it with that book. And so I want to be like, okay, here's a book that you can definitely read. That's awesome. That's so cool. Like I've never had a teacher, an English teacher, that would deviate from the script. Like we're all reading Pride and Prejudice. So get out your Pride and Prejudice and read it. And I would be like, oh, this book doesn't necessarily like... Uh, get me really pumped up and want to keep turning pages. I'm not a Jane Austen fan either, so it's okay. <laughs> but, um. but like, if they would have offered me the chance to like read a biography of somebody of a similar time period, mm-hmm. like I think that would be. Just, I mean, it's not fiction, but I think like you're saying, I could show those skills. Actually, you know, it's probably different with fiction and nonfiction, is it? Like, could I show skills in nonfiction that? you're looking for in fiction would I have to read like a memoir or like a what would be what would be an option for me in that situation well that would just depend on what standard we're looking at working on so we have like literature standards and then we have informational text standards so if we were working on a us like a literature standard then maybe the supplemental text the the text that we're reading with the novel would be something that I could find that would interest you in particular. If you were interested in biographies, maybe I could find some articles that would interest you. So, like, what, um, what do you prefer? What do you, do you like fiction more than nonfiction? Or what is your breakdown on those two large genres, classifications, maybe they're called? I'm a big fiction fan. Okay, so do you, like, do you not, like, when it comes to nonfiction, is that, like, not even an option for you? Oh, no, I'll read it. I like reading, so I'll, I'll read. Just not Judy Bloom. Anything. No, but. Any, but, anything but Judy Bloom. <laughs> um, no, I like reading, um, so I'll read nonfiction stuff. And, like, even the memoir um, 
Long Way Gone that my 10th graders read. I loved that. I read that in like two days when Betty gave it to me. I was like, this is awesome. And the kids love it too. But um, like if I had to choose something for reading just on my own, not for class or for teaching, I would almost always go to, to fiction. So what, and what does it for? Like why, why does that grab you? Why do you gravitate towards fiction? I think I'm just fascinated with how we can use language to like create new worlds, like worlds that don't exist except for in someone's imagination. And they can express what's in their imagination through the use of the English language. I think that's just, that's so fascinating to me. Like that's almost, like the what, what you just described right there, is, it's this, to me it's the same as what a stand-up comedian does. Because like they have a, this weird thought or this weird um, connection of, some, of maybe a couple concepts in their imagination and using the English language, they're able to convey that. And when they do, like people make noises with their mouth because mm-hmm. of it. Like that, that's the same thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, um, And so what, what, is there any like, so besides just enjoying their ability to convey their imagination specifically and, you know, with great imagery, like what else, like what less, is there, is there like certain lessons that you, you grab from fiction or like, are there other applicable things that you can take from those fiction writings or books? I think, um, fiction also kind of gives you the, the ability to not just enjoy like other people's imagination, but you actually get to go into those worlds too. And I think um, it's like you have different ways of addressing actual issues in the world in a fictional setting, um, and it may be in a little bit of a different way. Um, that kind of like you can step out with like, wow, I never thought of this this way. Or you can draw connections between fictional world and the real world, which I think is cool. So there's le- there's always lessons to be learned. Um, but I think that's the, the part I like most is not just how cool it is that they can convey their imagination through the use of the English language, but also that I get to go exploring in their in their brains a little bit and play around like with the world that they made and just be able to somehow connect myself with the world that they made. Like, so when you're reading a piece of fiction that is, like describes that vivid, like their imagination, are you... Like I think what I do is I like I actually try to put my imagination and match it up with that. Like is that kind of what happens, right? Like it's probably hard. It doesn't happen probably while you're I don't know necessarily reading the words on the page, but like as you reflect on it and think about it, like you're playing those scenes out in your head, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and like have you ever had like so you have, when you're reading it, have you had instances where like let's say some climactic event happens in the book and like you pause and kind of think about it and you actually do apply that same principle to your life? I would say yes. I cannot think of an example right now off of the top of my head. But um But yeah, there are times where it's like you just have to you just have to put it down and think about it for a little while. Or like a character um, betrays another character, for example, and you're just like, wow, like, 
what that um, what that must feel like or what that must be like. And then because you've been with this characters for so long, you know, that changes it too. And I think um, another cool thing about literature is it kind of helps people, I think, build empathy um, through reading because you have this ability to step into people's shoes that you wouldn't have in any other way. I mean, if you can experience the world that they're experiencing it, connect yourself to the characters, um, and you can like see, you can see into their thoughts sometimes, depending on how the story is written. So it's kind of cool where you're drawing connections, but you're also being able to imagine experiences that you haven't had, and like think about like, wow, what that what that would be like if that were if I were really in this situation, how that would you know make me feel, and then it has that power to like change how we behave in our lives too. Like after reading something, if that was like really powerful text like wow you know I, yeah no, it's I, pretty great i'm thinking of i pulled off a book from the free book cart here it was about i it's weird how i'll do that i'll just pick like oh that looks like a strange interesting title like that's a weird cover and i'll pick it up and i ended up reading it and it was about this this there was a book called a child called it did you ever hear that one before? yeah i heard of that there was like a different book that this guy wrote that i picked up and um and i read it and he still describes like vivid scenes or situations that happened to him and he experienced like severe child abuse and like as he's describing them like i'm putting myself in those situations and it's like it's like i can't even like it's hard to imagine it but mm-hmm. when you do imagine it like man it's super powerful like even just by reading it and talking about it right now like i kind of i'm getting a little like choked up and i can mm-hmm. i'm putting myself into those situations like it's crazy that, that that books can do that yeah um what do you think is the best like what book is there anyone that stands out for you that like originally made you do that and made you realize like oh my god like like i'm, I'm thinking of like something you're reading a book and like all of a sudden like putting it down and be like oh my god these things are super powerful <laughs> um actually with with a long way gone so what what is a, what is a long way so gone? So a long way story? gone is um it's about a child soldier in Sierra Leone and so then um he has to fight they're they're forced to there's no option and then they it's that or they die um and they're drugged and given these weapons and they're told to shoot at other kids and other people and um it's just it's crazy to think you know we have it pretty pretty good (laughs) and it's kind of you wouldn't even imagine like as a child that's not something I could even fathom what happened to me and so it's I think it's powerful for the kids too to be like wow like this this is what happened and um the writer Ishmael Bea has like he describes it as like a photographic memory he remembers things so vividly that um when he's writing about it you are you're there you're there and it's it's really powerful as far as you just makes you think about um, these kind of injustices and that they they happen and what it must be like in order to experience those. And that was one where it was like you do have to put it down sometimes because you're like, I can't believe that this seven-year-old kid has been given drugs and a gun and told to go murder other people. Like, I don't uh, know. Is that, is that the one? I feel like... 
I've read. Did he have to kill his mom or something like that? No. No. Okay. <laughs> but okay. So so what I'm thinking of is like we kind of have a cheat code now with television and movies. Mm-hmm. Like, do books still do a better job of that because you have to imagine it yourself? And then like, is there something that reading a book does that just watching a movie or a TV show doesn't do? Because I feel like that's kind of like that's the that's a newer version with actual like images and it can play out the scene in front of you like do you think that's that isn't as good as re- as reading it and having your like I feel like I don't know I guess I'm just thinking out loud right now but like mm-hmm. I feel like reading the book forces you to like have to create that scene like with your brain mm-hmm. versus like having the cheat code of it's already created for you and you digest it yeah, I think um, I think they just they do it differently, but I think with with books especially, when you're inside those characters' heads and when you're following them for so long, because a movie is like you know two hours or something. Mm-hmm. When you're reading a book, it takes you days or a couple weeks, depending on how you're reading it. Um, you're developing with them and you're thinking with them, and you have like you said, you have to construct what's happening in your own brain. I think it's a more active, it requires more active participation from you than like watching a movie would. And so I think it has a different impact. And do you think, so do you think students have that thought process? Like, cause I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever had this thought before, like where, like I'm just realizing that that's maybe why reading is more powerful and more impactful because your brain has to, like, neurons have to fire and, like, synapses have to connect in order for you to construct um, that story, like, the the scenes from a long way gone. Like, you have to imagine that child given, like, a bunch of amphetamines and told to go kill people versus just watching it happen on video. Like, is that something that it's, like, is easy for a student to come to the conclusion on, do you think? I would give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they, they're for sure, um, they're getting there, I think. I think a lot of the times the kids, like, they're like, oh, we want to watch the movie, we want to watch the movie. But um, they react to reading the book, if it's a powerful book with a powerful message, I think they they get that moment where they're like, whoa, you know, from reading. Or when they find a book that they really enjoy and they're like, um, I heard a student the other day who was like, I don't like reading, got a book. And then um, was like, oh, I can really, I can really relate to this author or this person. And then I think they do see when they have the right book in front of them, the right book for them especially. I think they do realize how powerful a book can be over just seeing the movie. Yeah, no, that's, I, I just, I just don't think that was ever like made clear to me. Like I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of jealous now that I didn't have uh, that point of view. Or, like, that thought explained to me more. Because I think I was just like, well, this is easier to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you know, it's different about the book and the movie. Oh, uh, there's no reading. Okay. Um, but, like, thinking about it, like, wow, it's way more powerful because your body and your organs have to do work to, mm-hmm. like, it probably remembers it better. And the plot... I feel like the movies, they give you the plot, but there's so much more to reading than just the plot. Um, 
we're talking just how it was written to the language that was used, um, how the sentences were structured. All of that plays into this overall message. And I think in a movie, you're only getting a visual interpretation of what those words can do. But when you see them in action and you're reading them and you have to think critically about even just how this author wrote this, why did they choose this word over that word? And what's the difference? Um, even just subtle differences in how we feel towards those words yeah, make like, a big impact. I'm thinking of like now I'm, I'm thinking of stand-up comedy again. Like if I were to watch, it's like a, if a stand-up comic has a bit and if I were to watch the bit play out without the comic's words, like would I still find it funny? Like I might be like, huh, that's funny. But I probably wouldn't be like going, <laughs> like I wouldn't be actually laughing. Like, I feel like that's, like, a pretty big difference versus being like, well, that's funny. Or, like, oh, that's sad instead of actually mm -hmm. being in the state of laughter or crying after reading something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's just the, like, the craft and the art of it is, it's powerful. And not to say that, like, film production doesn't have craft and art, but I think you are getting what somebody, what someone's interpretation of it was from reading it. But when you read it, you have to create your own in your brain of what you're seeing this to be like. Um, so that's kind of like letting someone do that brain power for you and think about the words and create a picture. Whereas reading, you have to do that. Yeah, and I suppose the best movies are just the like they're just the best at capturing that person's imagination or life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm getting like that's probably what the really good directors are able to do right i don't know um no this is a, a, besides that besides that lesson of empathy uh and just using your imagination what are some other you think important like in vital or excuse me important and vital lessons that you're able to convey or like the most excited to convey through your class Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> I think um, that you can you can be a reader without liking reading certain types of novels. I think, especially when kids are taught a lot of the classics, if they're just not a fan of the classics, they develop this like disdain for reading in general. But I was trying trying to get across that like, if you like to read magazines about cars, then you're a reader. You just like to read these magazines, and if you are someone who likes to read um, biographies, then you're a reader. You just like to read biographies. So I think that's what my one of my hopes is that I can help kids find like what's their what's their thing, or that realize that they are actually readers and that they can actually find enjoyment in reading. Um, it doesn't just have to be through. You know, you might not like Shakespeare, <laughs> and there are things, there are reasons why you should read Shakespeare, um, but you don't have to, like, that doesn't have to be your thing. You don't have to read Shakespeare for the rest of your life. Um, I don't know. No, yeah, <laughs> I that, yeah. Like, so do you think, do you think requiring certain, like, classics is still a viable, like, path for the future? The, for like English classes or do you think that it should go more of the route of like fine like sticking with like skills to show while while 
like while reading the stuff that's in your wheelhouse or in your interest zone? I mean, there's probably a place for both, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I talked to Paulette about this and Jenny about this and Jen about the all the English teachers, um, where it's kind of like. There is still a place, I think, for studying certain things. Like, you, you should read some Shakespeare. Um, and not just because of the amount of craft and structure and what you can learn from it, but also because um, you need to be, like, almost culturally literate. Like, in society, people have read this text, these texts, and there might be allusions to them in other films. And, like, if you haven't studied Greek mythology at all in school then you might miss out on all of these meanings and other things in movies and television and other books because you missed out on that. So there is still value in studying those, but at the same time, there is um, also value in finding books that you like to read and practicing your skills with those two. What, what do you, like, I'm trying to, what are some of the things that do pop up constantly that you have the ability to like introduce to kids that maybe like I don't know like is there something that Shakespeare did that is always alluded to or like some type of literary device that was used by a certain author that's alluded to in other film or TV constantly or like certain characters I don't know I think, I mean, I can't even remember this episode of, it was Jimmy Neutron, and they, like, did a thing on Macbeth and Jimmy Neutron, um, but, no, it's all, it's all over the place, um, even, like, just common, um, sayings, like, oh, the world's a stage, like, that's Shakespeare, (laughs) um, but, um, or to be or not to be, that's all over the place, too, and so, I think there is value in, like, finding out where those things came from. Um, and why they're used. Yeah, I just, I don't know if I've, I mean, there's probably so many things that I do or say constantly that I just don't even know the origin of. Um, Like, even in music, um, I'm trying to think. I heard a Mumford & Sons song where they said, stars hide your fires, and star, wait, yeah. These here are my desires. That's the line, which is um, pulled from Macbeth. That's Macbeth. Like, okay, something gonna, like one of your students will hear that. Like future. hide my deep and dark desires or something, because he's planning on killing the king. So, um, I just thought that was cool. That it's like if you didn't read Macbeth, you might have missed out on this line. Like there's a connection here between this song and this play that right. you would have missed. And I and I I heard someone. I feel like it was a film director talking about. Like, when he makes a movie, like, he's making it with some really deep intentions. But the the viewer might not be able to get those intentions. Like, they might just get it, like, what's happening on the surface versus some of those elements that maybe you talk about in your class when it comes to, like, the hero's journey or um, just actions of certain characters and what that means in your own life like somebody might watch a movie or read a story uh, and just be like oh this thing happened that's it that's all it was but like after you are in English class and it isn't the is the idea that you would watch something or read something 
or hear something and find that deeper meaning for. Yeah, I think that's part that's part of the goal. Um, and I think so that you'll be able to find those deeper meanings. And in like in film too, um, you'll be able to catch things like even how they're lighting things will have can have symbolism where the colors that they're using can have symbolism. Um, but even oh, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about so many things right now. Um, so we're talking about so film, yeah, yes. Um, deeper meaning. I don't know. Like, is it after? Oh, to, like, yeah, to catch those things. Is that like part of the goal? Is to be yeah. able to? Yeah, I think to be able to to be able to analyze thing and and see see those connections or see that's another part of I think seeing into like people's imaginations and people's like what people can come up with. Um, is being able to see like there's a surface level, but there are also all these reasons for this choice. And I think that's another way to just be able to appreciate craft in different in different fields. And it's probably hard to it's probably hard to do that with teenagers um, and with some certain like books or literary works because there's not enough time probably, right? Like if I'm thinking about the best analysis of a film I've ever done, it's on the film Moana. <laughs> yeah. And the only reason I'm able to deeply think about it and like able to have, like, I could give a TED Talk on Moana and its symbolism because I've seen it probably a hundred times. Like, I think the number is actually a hundred. Um, but, like, you just can't, <laughs> like, I think it takes that amount of repetition with something to really... Mm-hmm. get into it and like it's weird every time I would watch it it wasn't even like I was sick of watching it I would be looking for something new every time um, and I don't know if that's possible in a like a high school classroom mm-hmm. I had some success with The Great Gatsby and doing um, where they had to isolate passages that they thought were good for close reading and so there was like a first time you read and Paula helped me develop this like what is what are you doing the first time you're reading it what are you doing the second time the third time and it's not that they had to read that whole book five times because that would be that would be time consuming but they had to read that passage that they wanted a close read five times maybe and so in doing that then I think they're able to um, pull things out of the text that like I didn't even notice when I read through The Great Gatsby, but because they were able to play with that passage for so long, they were finding these symbols that I had missed, um, which was kind of cool. Um, but no, I would say like, I think my best, <laughs> like being able to appreciate a text has been like reading it three or four different times, like really being able to to get, you find something new every time, I think. Right. And like, I don't think I'm trying to, like, I'm sure there are some high school students that do mm-hmm. that, but I think overall, like, it's pretty hard to get, you know, you can't read a text three, t- like a book three times, you know? Right. Um, but that, that, uh, close reading thing seems like a cool idea. Like, did, did anybody pick, like, did you have certain sections, like, marked off or did they choose like did anyone choose like a really not you know analyzable section and they were like uh i think he's just driving the car yeah so we actually 
when we went through it the first time, I had passages they had in front of them that we close read together. Um, and actually the first one, I just close read. Like I had it on the projector and I close read and they kind of just watched the process. Um, and then I had them practice with passages I chose. And then we talked about like the criteria for a passage to meet, like to be a good close okay. reading passage. So if you're reading through it and it's not saying anything about character or theme or there's no symbols, the language is pretty ordinary, like then it's probably not a passage to close read. Or if it's two sentences and again, it's just written pretty straightforward, there's nothing really going on, you can't close read those that one sentence. Like maybe we got to broaden our horizons a little bit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like when you're a kid, you're not one of these weird analogies, like when you're a kid and you're looking to build like a snow fort, you have to find like a good chunk of snow. Like mm-hmm. you can't just make it out of, you know, a, f- a really bad piece or a right. chunk of snow. Mm-hmm. You know, does that make any sense <laughs> yeah, to you I think at all? So. That's a good Midwest. Like somebody from California listening to this is like, what? Mm-hmm. Snow forts, dude? Um, yeah, that didn't, did they like that? Did they like close reading those things? Did they take away lessons, like applicable things? Or, I mean, what was the feeling? What was the overall reaction to that type of activity? I think um, what was kind of cool to see was there was like a sense of accomplishment that kids had with like, wow, I'm actually able to to do this. Like, I don't need to be told what the symbols are. I'm actually able to read this passage and tell you what the symbols are. And some of them were pretty excited when I said like, wow, that's a really cool idea that you had. I actually didn't even notice that when I read it. And then there's like a, whoa, I found something the English teacher missed. <laughs> and, and I think that's cool, like that they they feel confident, like it's a good confident builder for them. And also just be like, yeah, you can do this. Cause I think sometimes if we hand hold them to, you know, hold their hands too much, they they miss out on on that feeling. And I think they enjoy literature more when there's like a task for them to do and they accomplish a goal and they like feel good. And it's like, wow, yeah, this is actually pretty cool. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. like I'm trying to think, would that happen in like the old school ways of teaching? Like if you all, like if a student came up with something that the, the teacher didn't, like what are the odds the teacher would have reacted like, wow, that's amazing. Like, I'm so proud of you. Or I mean, I'm sure that would have happened. <laughs> But, like, overall, I feel like it would have been a more like, negative, like, shut quiet, up. Quiet, Jimmy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I guess we might, we can wrap up. It's been, like, an hour, I think. Um, so I guess you can connect it to what we've talked about, if you'd like, or have it be totally something totally different. But what is one one piece of parting advice that you would really hope that students – or maybe even young teachers would take uh, really to heart and apply to their life that you think would be the most valuable? I think the biggest thing I can say is that you're all capable of learning. You're all capable of doing it. Um, and you're all capable of, of doing that. It just might be in a way that's a little bit different. And then that's totally okay. But you just gotta find what your what your groove is, and you gotta go with it. Find your groove. Find your groove, yeah. Find your groove and go with it. Awesome, Sarah <laughs> O'Brien. Thank you for coming in. Thank you, Dan Clark. It's been fun. <laughs>